This is Kimberly Rice, and you are tuned into the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show, the groundbreaking podcast for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career, business, and life of their dreams by charting their own course. joining us for another episode of Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings Show, where we speak with ex-discipline experts and groundbreaking thought leaders um, for useful information for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career of their the career of their dreams by charting their own course and i could not be more excited than to uh, welcome the one the only amber Racine. Um, who is a private practicing attorney in philadelphia here hometown for not either one of us actually um but welcome amber thank you thank you thank you for joining us today thank you so much for having me um so if um you would for just a moment would you please tell us a little bit about what got you here to philadelphia and um your professional path passion and what led you down this professional path sure So I am a New York girl. I came to Philadelphia in 1999 to go to Drexel University for my undergraduate degree. And I originally thought I would go back to New York, but I really fell in love with the city. Um, There's a lot here. It's much cheaper than New York. (laughs) So I stayed here and went to law school at Temple. And while I did that, I was working at a litigation firm which is a little bit different than what I thought I wanted to do with my law degree. But I realized that I really enjoyed working with people. Um, I liked helping people and I liked that feeling of helping people. And so I stuck with it and I became a plaintiff's attorney. I work with people who've suffered injuries. And a lot of the times when they come to see a lawyer, they're at one of the lowest points of their life. They, They don't really know how to move forward. And they're not really sure of this process that we call litigation. And for me, I really enjoyed it. I really thought that I was helping people directly. You could kind of see the progression from when they come to your office and, you know, they're at their very lowest to when they feel that things are becoming manageable or they're even becoming better or we're helping them in a way that they did not know was possible when they suffered their injury. Mm. And for me, that's really what keeps me engaged. It really keeps you going on those long days. And I've always loved helping people. And I really love that I now have a specialized way to do it. That is such a blessing to find that groove um, that continues to sustain you day after day. It really is. I mean, there there are days with like every, you know, career, every job that there are days where it's really hard. So remembering why you're doing it is really important. And, you know, I take my hat off to you because I've worked quite a bit with folks in personal injury, uh, attorneys, products, liability, um, premises, liability. It's tough. I mean, these are some gruesome circumstances. Your heart gets out over and again, I'm sure. Um, it does. It definitely does. I mean, because I mean, if you have any empath, you know, empathy at all, 
Um, you must get up every day just thanking God that, you know, that you've been blessed and have not suffered the way some of these people suffer. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, you know, most of my clients left their house or were on vacation or whatever they were doing. They were just like me. Right. They, you know, didn't have, we have cares in the world, but nothing as traumatic as this. And then something happens and in an instant, literally your life changes. changes. Right. So help our listeners understand in that vein um, of what a typical day looks like in your world. A typical day is a little bit varied. Um, a lot of it is writing and advocacy through writing. A lot of it is um, meeting with people and talking to people. The law is a very relationship based profession, um, whether that's clients or people that may refer you cases or doctors who are treating your clients. Um, it's, it's great to kind of connect with people all sorts of different ways. Um, but a lot of it is um, preparation more than anything. I mean, I am a trial attorney, but the time that you spend in court is, is limited compared to the time you spend preparing for court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of my clients obviously have never been in this kind of situation before. So I always feel it's very important to keep them updated. It's very important to kind of explain what may be day to day to you, but is a very foreign process to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that's most of my day. I'd probably start around nine 30. I'm not a morning person, but um, uh, I usually finish around seven and hopefully, you know, have a little bit of balance to things, but, when you like what you do, it's easy to get kind of wrapped up into it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, the hours just fly by. <laughs> um, so I understand um, this is, you know, we're, we're, for those listeners, I want you to understand what an amazing woman we're talking to, um, because I'm going to continue to um, peel back various la- layers and let you shine, Miss Amber, because, <laughs> I mean, you are, you know, you embody the, the image of superpowers. Um, so I understand you attended law school at night while you worked full time as a paralegal. Yes, I did. That was interesting wow. to say the least. <laughs> wow, wow. Super wow. That takes a special disposition. Um, but share with us some of the greatest lessons you learned during that time. I would definitely say the number one is time management. I mean, you don't have a lot of time when I'm working eight hours. I'd have basically half an hour to grab something to eat and get to law school, which thankfully was only a few train stops away. Mm. Um, And then some teachers, obviously, or professors, I should say, wouldn't let you eat in class. So sometimes (laughs) that half an hour included shoving the food down your throat. But, um, you know, when you wake up at maybe 730 and I'm at work until 530, I have class at six. I get out of class at about 920. I get home at about 10 o'clock and, you know, you're trying to maybe exercise, eat, do a little something for yourself and study. On top of that, you really learn to be efficient with your time. Hmm. Um, There are some things that I never really thought that I would do. Um, I was single. I'm single. And I'd have somebody come and clean up my house when necessary. Um, And I used to think I used to feel really guilty about those kinds of things. Um, like I have my groceries delivered because I don't really, I didn't really have time to go to the grocery store. Sure. Um, and I used to feel really guilty about those kinds of things and feel really um, as if they were elitist. Mm. And then I really thought about my time and like, I, I don't, I literally did not have time to do laundry, let alone, um, you know, something major like clean out the fridge or whatever, you know, mundane tasks that 
can take half an hour that I truly did not have. Right. Um, and I learned to be really efficient at work also. You know, there are days when, you know, something that should take you 45 minutes takes you an hour and a half. And I just didn't have that kind of time because if my boss needed something, there was no way I could stay late. There was usually no way I could work weekends because those were my study times. Um, so I really learned, you know, to focus on what needs to be done, to do it in a very timely manner and to not feel guilty about certain things that didn't get done or certain things that I had to, you know, farm out to someone else because there's only one you and there's only 24 hours in a day, which can sometimes seem really long and can sometimes seem really short. Mm. So I would say my greatest lessons were time management and to just not let things make you feel guilty because sometimes it just is what it has to be. So excellent. Um, so um, to say that you now have um, learned and, and are a resourceful individual, uh, a, a boss lady, would be an <laughs> understatement. Um, and so now you've been working in, you know, it must be a, a day in the park. You only have one job, right? <laughs> well, in theory, I only have one job. <laughs> do a lot of pro bono work and a lot of um, board service sure. and that sometimes seems like a second job and but um, yeah. yeah second and third and fourth depending on um, where I am and what day it is but I definitely think that those skills are something I'm happy I learned early on because as a young attorney I didn't feel the same sort of pressure in my time that a lot of my peers did right because at that point I did feel like oh I can do this <laughs> so, <laughs> it's only 10 hours I can do this easy compared to my old 13 hour <laughs> days not a problem um so so that's definitely been helpful so um how have you brought that forward you've been practicing now for a little bit over a decade you know mm-hmm. what ha- of those experiences and lessons that you were you learned when you were doing that double full-time duty um, and now, you know, you, you were very, you know, quite established in a law firm as, you know, as a, a esteemed member. And I, we're going to talk about your curricular activities in a few minutes. But how have you um, integrated those two kind of lives? I think I would say through my board service. So I'm a past president of the Barristers Association, which is the association focused on black lawyers in the city. And I first got involved after law school because when I was in law school, I didn't really have as much time for networking as I would have liked. Um, But I got involved and I saw the importance of getting involved in things around the community. Um, The barristers not only help black lawyers, but we do a lot for the black community. We'll have know your rights clinics. Um, We speak at a lot of elementary and middle schools to encourage children. We have a turkey drive every year that helps to feed um, people around the holidays throughout the city. And in that same way of giving back, I felt like I now had more time for it and I could serve in that capacity as a lawyer. Um, So I serve on the board for community legal services, which is the largest pro bono organization. actually in combination with Philadelphia Legal Assistance. So they're the two largest pro bono organizations, and I'm on the board for both because I really believe in the work that they do. They help more people than you could even think of um, with landlord-tenant issues, um, dependency issues, so many different areas that, you know, I get exposed to through that service. And I think, you know, having that balance of time that I've learned over the years, it really allows me to kind of 
dedicate myself to other organizations other than my firm Mm -hmm. where I feel like my time is well spent and where I feel like I'm giving back. Mm. Your, your life must be a blossom of blessings overflowing for, for all that you do. It feels like it some days, you know, some days you can be grumpy like everybody else. I'll wake up and complain about the weather. And then I think, you know, overall things are fantastic. You know, uh, I can walk, I can talk, I can breathe on my own. Some of the things that we forget about, you know, other people are taken for granted. I can help people, which to me is like the best feeling in the world. Yes. Um, And, you know, I've been blessed in that what I wanted to do as a kid is really coming true. So it's, it's funny how sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't, but um, I'm really, really, really happy. So did you, um, did you always want to be a lawyer or how I did as long as I can remember? Wow. That is, I mean, so you're, I don't know if you know the, the movie wedding crashers, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies of all times, Will Ferrell, in his living room, you know, she's living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so Amber Racine is living the dream. I am. You tell I yourself that those... when, uh, when uh, you know people are not being happy with you one day. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there everybody has tough days, but I like to like right before I go to sleep, think about something great that happened, and you know, go to sleep on a positive and try to wake up in a positive way. Uh, Absolutely. So let's talk for a few minutes about practicing law while female. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of the focus of our work. Um, we've seen over many, many years the challenges um, females have, women have much more than greater than their male counterparts. Um, so first I want to ask um, for your thoughts on how would you um, characterize or d- describe your law school experience in connection with um, preparing you for the practice of law? Um, I think that's difficult because um, when you're in law school, especially at, at night and feeling a little frazzled every day, um, you're really focused on each subject kind of individually. And sometimes the collective didn't come together for me. And I don't think that law schools are preparing students, or at least they didn't in my time, to for the business of being a lawyer, for discussing, you know, even things that you're supposed to do on an interview, things that you're supposed to do, like networking, things like board service and how that can potentially help your career. I felt like I understood why, but they were really focused on each particular subject mm-hmm. and each particular, you know, class. But there wasn't an overall learning of, okay, you're a lawyer now, and this is what it's going to look like. And these are the different things that you're going to need to do in the office. There wasn't a discussion really of office politics per se. I was working at a law firm, so that benefited me, but I didn't feel like a lot of my classmates understood um, certain things, even things as simple as, you know, a paralegal may not be a lawyer, but they're more helpful and they may have more experience than you do. So they're a great resource, but I didn't think it was, it translated particularly well Hmm. for me. Well, and you're not alone. Um, As long as I've been working in and around legal services since 1991, I have been on a crusade to bend as many law school deans and um, associate deans of um, career strategies and um, different um, curriculum fairs because they don't prepare lawyers for 
private practice. I mean, you get like, in, in my view, you get half of an education, you know, how to write a motion or a mm-hmm. or do an oral argument, but nothing, you know, when you show up day one at that law firm, um, how to do billable time or the business of law or the economics or, you know, business development or any of those things. Exactly. And so they're becoming more and more important. I mean, it's just, I mean, you're getting half of an education. You are, you're getting the technical education. And I guess that's what it's for. But I, I think that a lot of law schools would benefit from adding either workshops or even, you know, one-off courses where they're just having people come in or having the law students sit and listen to a panel of even what types of law there is to practice at this point. Right. It's so different. I mean, there was an article about Bitcoin and the lawyers that are practicing in that area. And I read it three times and still didn't really understand right. what their day is like. But I think sometimes, you know, the law school model can evolve and should be evolving to help people with issues related to diversity, with issues related to being a woman in a predominantly male profession, yeah. with issues um, as, as you progress. You know, your first job is great, but it may not be your last job. And how do you make that transition? Sure. And what does it mean to go from associate to partner? And, you know, what you should be preparing for. This is a long career. And I think law school does help you get to be a lawyer. It helps you get to that first step. But I don't know that we're doing enough to help lawyers get past that first step in law school. Right. Well, I continue to fight the fight. Um, um, I, Drexel, you went to um, I um, um, have you know been reaching out to Drexel. I'm actually teaching a course there or a program there on I believe it's uh, February 12th. Um, so, um, you know, I am feel so convicted that, um, you know, I see when they come to start at the practice um, of law firms and they just they just are a blank canvas of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the same. it's not really fair to them paying good money. They've just put aside three years of their life. And now once again, you know nothing. <laughs> exactly. Um, it feels like you're starting all over. Yeah. All over again. Again. You know, I mean, how many times do we have to do this in our lives? Um, but um, So from your unique point of view, what do you feel like needs to change um, to make practicing law more equitable for women? Um, I think that, you know, we've heard for a long time that women need to lean in and other kind of phrases. And most of the women that I know are doing that. And I think what needs to change is that the people who've held the so-called power for very long need to be prepared to let it go. Um, And that's going to happen in a lot of different ways. There are, you know, arguments that I know friends have gone to where they prepped the partner, they wrote the brief, they did everything. um, And they're there. And the judge will ask the partner, because of course, the partner is the one that's um, arguing. And the judge will ask the partner a question and the partner has no idea and has to look to the associate. And I think some judges have been pushing attorneys to allow associates and young partners to argue those motions themselves they're obviously prepared they obviously know the file they obviously know the record and those opportunities have to be given to younger attorneys to diverse attorneys to women so that we're we're taking over the profession at at some point you know the generational gap is going to close right because it always does that's just the way of the world Mm -hmm. and if we're not preparing people younger than us at all levels of the career. If we're not preparing young people, what's going to happen? 
um, you know, more women are graduating law school than men these days. And we have to give women those opportunities. And sometimes, you know, as a woman, as a, as a black woman, especially if I felt that I wasn't getting those opportunities in one area, then, you know, I would go to another area because I know that I can do this job and I'm prepared to do this job. So, you know, with client concerns being what they are, sometimes you don't, but with client cons- if the client's behind you, you have to be at a place where your firm is behind you or your, your organization is behind you. And you have to, you know, look at those challenges of those new things as opportunities, but it can't just be on the side of, of younger attorneys or diverse attorneys or women attorneys. We, we can't be working alone to make those changes. It really has to come from the top also. Well, that's an interesting point. One of the things that, you know, we see over and over again in our practice and working with uh, law firms in coaching attorneys, uh, young, middle-aged, older, um, we work a lot with firms in what we call the founder's trap. Mm-hmm. Partners are, you know, winding down or want to wind down, but there's not um, transparent leaders to, to build up um, the natural. And um, so one of the, we, and we see that women, we know that women, um, you know, I, I, I will stop shy if it's an oppressive environment. Um, but do you feel like, and I mean, you're smack dab in the middle of it. Do you feel like women assert themselves and say, this is, I'm ready to do this. I need you to let me do this. I think it happens, but it may happen at a slower pace for a lot of women. And I think, um, you know, sometimes it's just conditioning. You know, I I was told to be polite, right? right. kind of wait my turn the same way everyone else was. And then sometimes it's just the fear of some, of some firms and that kind of, this is the way we do it and there's not going to be any exceptions. And sometimes it's a combination thereof, but I think women may take longer to get there, but we get there. And however long it takes you, once you get there, I feel like you have to have a plan about what you're going to say, what reasonings you're going to give. And then you have to kind of stand firm. And sometimes it will be that, okay, maybe you'll do half or if there's four motions, you'll argue two and the partner will argue the two that are seen seemingly bigger or seemingly more decisive to the case strategy. But um, I think we also need to do a good job, women, especially of keeping track of your accomplishments and keeping track of your wins. Cause you know, the end of year review is going to come one way or the other. And, you know, you think you'll remember, but sometimes February is a flash, you know, it's a memory by the time December comes. So exactly. I, I learned this from another attorney with the barristers who told me he keeps a file of his wins. Yes. And it doesn't have to be a humongous win. It can be something you've done well for the first time. Sometimes we downplay our accomplishments. And even if you're not from the rooftop, write them down for yourself. And, and this way, number one, you remember that on bad days, because we all have them you remember that you know you have kicked butt before and you'll kick butt again but also when the review happens in December and they're talking about your growth for the next year not just your compensation but your growth as an attorney you can look back at that year and say hey you know this is a really good year this is what I've done that I've never done before this is what I've won that we didn't think we were going to win this is what you know the clients that I've originated and this way you know it and the people at your firm know it and so it's clear that you know your value, but you'll also realize how much your firm values you. Right. 
spoken like a completely boss lady with wide uh, wisdom there. Thank you for that. Um, I um, am blown away with how confidently you are standing in your worth and accomplishments. That is just so um, amazing because I don't see that a lot from women attorneys. Um, but what you've said is absolutely spot on perfect. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you're, I mean, because if you don't think you're worth it and if you can't, you know, point to, and lawyers love to be very analytical and want everything in black and white. So when you're working for other lawyers and, you know, I mean, it's unlike any other field I've encountered or observed, you've got to have, you know, all the documentation lined up, you know, with tabs and, you know, binding and whatever. Um, but if you can point to it, then that's, you know, very um, analytical. Here it is. This is the facts, Jack. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, you know, that takes investment and time in yourself. You know, I've, I've benefited from a lot of your programming, Kimberly, where, you know, you taught us, this is, this is what people expect of women. And this is what you to accomplish and sometimes that's a tightrope and you know I'm not saying it's fair I'm not saying it's the way it should be but sometimes you have to recognize it for what it is and figure out how you can advance and make the the successes that you want for yourself on that tightrope and so you know I thank you and I thank a lot of the people who've taught me that you have to invest in yourself and sometimes take these programs and do these extra things with your own time and sometimes with your own money right. to make sure that, you know, you have the career that you want to have. Exactly. And I mean, and I'm, I'm, I appreciate you raising that because that's always been one of my main objectives is to show and teach women lawyers how to create the career their dreams by charting their own course. Sometimes you just don't know when you're starting out path, but if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward and investing in yourself, as you've said, and that, that I teach constantly, then, you know, you're going to see that, oh, yeah, these are all these are the good things that I'm doing. And, oh, well, I need to make a tweak here or there. And something that I say in our programs all the time is that your career transcends your job. Now. I love that. You should get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I know that you work for an amazing firm. Um, I do. I'm really lucky to be here. I love it. And I mean, they're wonderful, solid, you know, Stephen and, and, and so many others there that are Tim, uh, who I, I know and, and think so highly of. Um, and not, but not all women find themselves in that situation. And um, they're not in a position where they can advocate for themselves. But yet, because we are taught to follow the rules, too many women stay stuck because they're lucky to have a job. And if I could just speak to that real briefly, I think it's important when you're moving through your career to figure out what you want before you start embarking on job searches. Because I was at a great firm through law yeah. school and I, was, and I loved it there for a very long time. But in all in all, between college, law school, and as a lawyer, I was there for 10 years. Mm. And I started to feel personally like I wasn't going to grow there mm -hmm. as an attorney. I might have grown there in title. Mm -hmm. I might have grown there in far as responsibility. But I, but I did not feel like I was really working towards my personal mission. Mm -hmm. And I started to look for a new firm. And I didn't do it quickly. I didn't do it in a kind of willy-nilly manner. It took nearly a full year mm. to discover how good um, 
different firms were and how they were like me and how I would fit there. Right. And when I became interested in Reigns, it was then Reigns McCarty, mm-hmm. we're now Reigns Lawn Haymeyer. It was actually through another woman attorney, Regina Foley. Oh, yeah. And I knew Regina because of the Bar Association, which goes to my point about getting involved in things outside of the four walls of your office. Right. Because I knew Regina Foley really well at the Bar Association. And it was through that connection that I even found out there was a potential position here. Mm. And Regina and I had lunch. We, we got along well. We talked a lot about the kind of work that the firm does, but we also talked about the kind of lawyers that worked here. Mm. Um, almost all the lawyers here volunteer in some non-legal way. Uh, Mark Lewinner is a great volunteer at St. Christopher's Hospital where he does magic for kids who are in the hospital. Tim works at, uh, on the board of uh, Frankie's World, which is a school for disab- disabled children. I mean, when we started talking about not only the work that the firm does, but the type of people that are here, that's when I knew this is where I wanted to come. Wow. And I've been here now six, nearly six and a half years. Mm. And it flies because I didn't even realize that until LinkedIn told me. Um, <laughs> it's it's great work, but it's great people. It's family friendly. It's the kind of place where I knew I would get the growth that I was seeking at my old firm and wasn't going to get. So here I feel like sometimes we're so busy wondering, will this new firm or will this new organization like me? That sometimes women, especially and younger women specifically, forget to ask the question, will I like it there? Will I be happy there? Will I be successful there? And those are questions that we need to be asking because when I came here, I felt very confident that they would support my efforts outside the office, that they would allow me the growth that I needed. I was the youngest attorney when I came here by more than a decade. Wow. And so I knew that I had growing to do mm-hmm. as an attorney. And in that time, I feel like my firm has really grown. We've changed names. We've done a lot, but we've man- managed to stay the same core type of people who are really focused on the work itself and not the glitz and the glamour. And for that reason, I knew Reigns would be a good fit for me then. And Reigns is now still a good fit for me. Wow. That is an amazing success story. I can't wait to share this with, you know, not only our listeners, but we will um, publicize um, our discussion today. Um, A few more questions. Uh, I'm just so happy that you've shared this path because Uh, I've seen and worked with too many women that are, you know, leaving the profession of law because that they can't find the right place or they are not getting the fair deal, that they're getting burnt out, they're getting dumped on, they don't have whatever it is to, to advocate, negotiate, ask. These are the things that we teach women lawyers of how to negotiate for themselves. But I want to speak a little bit about, you know, you're, you're certainly the, the, the boss lady when it comes to your area of practice and you're growing and you have been growing. But the, the giving back part, you mentor individuals who are contemplating a career in the law. Share with us more about this experience. Um, that has been really fulfilling for me. Um, I think. I felt like a lot of the time in law school, I had mentors, but I, they were more focused on, you know, grades and, and making sure that I was just keeping my head above water, which all are important. Grades are fantastic. But sometimes the navigation of the legal career just felt difficult. And I had one mentor, especially Bernie Smalley, who was fantastic at helping me in that area, but is not a woman. 
And um, I sometimes felt like there were things he felt comfortable doing that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to mentor black women, especially in this field, because sometimes it feels very much like you're on an island. And I don't think you should be struggling to learn the technique of law while you're also struggling to learn office politics and dynamics and um, questions that just go along with the career. Um, so what I what I focus on primarily is people that I see that are young in law school, even in college sometimes, where they're very dedicated, where I've given them, you know, small advice, like attend events, and I see them doing it. And the more that I see you investing in yourself, the more that I want to invest. And so I have what I call a mentorship circle um, with five other women. Almost all have graduated law school now, but uh, two are studying for the bar. Uh, One is still clerking. Um, Actually, she's on her second clerkship with the fifth district. Uh, And things are, things are really a circle of mentorship within those women because I can learn from them as much as they can learn from me. Mm. Um, And I think that is the kind of the key of mentorship in the future. I don't think it should be a one directional relationship where, you know, sometimes you only hear from someone every six months, they need advice and you never really know what happened after that. That's not the way that I mentor and I take it extremely seriously. So I, I would say I talk to them, if not daily, usually weekly in one of these uh, group chat apps. Mm-hmm. And I let them know that if I'm not available for whatever reason, the other women in the group are almost as capable, if not more so, capable of advising you through a crisis or a situation. And this way you don't feel like you're on that island by yourself. You feel like you have this support system. And we get together regularly, we talk about our goals, and we give each other constructive feedback on those goals and how you think you're going to get there. And it's been about three years now that I've had this particular group. And I'd like to think it's going well, and they're all, you know, doing pretty well. And I'm really proud of them. And and it's, it's just because in these particular ladies, I felt like I was seeing them invest in themselves. And that was really important to me before I would decide if I wanted to do something like this and embark on something like this. That is fabulous. Just fabulous. I mean, we all are standing on someone else's shoulders. Exactly. And, um, and they, I hope, you know, through your example and through your guidance, they too will now uplift others that come behind them. Um, they all do. I mean, they all have, Law um, mentors that are either in high school, college, or law school. Um, one of my mentees who just graduated from law school herself, Maya Brown, is very active with Big Brothers Big Sisters, mm. and I think that's fantastic because she now has, I think, maybe a little sister that's about thirteen or fourteen. Um, that difficult age that we all may or may not remember. Oh, yes. But, you know, she can now pass on those lessons that we've learned together as a group to somebody who's not even in college yet and will benefit so much from learning those things early in their, you know, pre-career. That's fantastic. Um, So you also, um, in in addition to your very full day job and your mentoring, you also presently serve as a member of the Pennsylvania Bar Association's House of Delegates. Pennsylvania Association for Justice Board of Governors and the Philadelphia Bar Association's Board of Governors. Girl, do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I don't sleep much. No, I do sleep. But I think, you know, like it's, it's important to me to show, 
I don't even know if it's the show, but I, it's important to me to serve as a leader. And I think sometimes that helps you build your confidence. Mm -hmm. It helps people um, really kind of respect you as a leader, even though you may be younger than they are or, or newer to the profession than they are. But I think it's given me great opportunities to um, learn more about the legal profession as a whole, learn more about the legal history of Philadelphia lawyers. Um, as a trial lawyer, I think being involved with the Philadelphia Trial Lawyer and the Pennsylvania Association for Justice gives me a better understanding of our clients and some of the issues that we face. Um, and I think when you're involved in things outside of your firm, it can lead to professional opportunities such as the one that I got to come over to Rain's Lawn Haymire mm -hmm. because of my relationship with Regina Foley, which originated at the Bar Association. Right. So you mentioned uh, a moment ago that being involved in these associations and, and um, endeavors outside of the office can help you gain confidence. Definitely. And confidence, you know, I, I like to call myself a confidence catalyst. Um, for the programming and training that we do with women lawyers and professionals. So can you talk a, just a moment about, you know, confidence in the law as a woman, how you have, you know, maybe hit a couple of bumps along the way, but how you have effectively navigated that and now where you are a decade later? I'd say it's like your first two years as an attorney, very difficult. Um, especially as a woman. I remember there was a deposition where, you know, I was getting ready and I was all geared up and I had that, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed feeling about myself. And the opposing counsel came in. He was an older gentleman, probably in his seventies, maybe sixties. And he automatically assumed I was like a secretary and thought, yeah. and I think asked me to lift his exact words were for me to fetch him some coffee. <laughs> and I remember like just feeling angry, but I didn't want to let that anger uh, show because I thought that would distract me. And so I remember I looked at him. I said, the coffee machine is over there. I don't fetch anything for anyone. And then I introduced myself as the attorney for my client. And I sat down and asked him if he was ready to proceed. And inside I was, I was like shaking between anger and embarrassment and kind of that feeling of, am I handling this correctly? But I just was dead set on not letting that show. Um, and it happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've been mistaken for the court reporter or, you know, a secretary of, of, of whoever. Um, yes. And I'm dressed in a suit. I don't have the bag that court reporters carry. I have a briefcase or I have my purse. And it's still prevalent. Um, yes. I've walked into courtrooms and, you know, they say, oh, you know, well, you can't come up here unless you're unless you're counsel. And I'm like, I'm the attorney of record. And, um, How do you feel when you say that? It it <laughs> it drives me crazy sometimes, um, and sometimes it rolls off my shoulder. I guess it kind of depends on. The day. I think I've gotten better at it with time. I think um, there's like an inner confidence you get as you continue in this career where sometimes those things don't bother you. And sometimes, you know, I work at a great firm and, you know, I'll name drop if that's what I need to do. My name, Steven's name, you know, people start to take you a little bit more seriously. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's a confidence within yourself when you start really realizing that you can do this career, that you, you are as competent. Um, I've told male attorneys on the record that just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean you're good at it. Right.
it doesn't automatically mean that you're better at it than me. Length and skill are two very different things. Um, And they understand my meaning. And they usually start to act right at that point, because I've also said, you know, we can stop this right now and call the judge. Mm. And it's not something I'm afraid to do, especially as we have more women judges, especially especially as we have more diverse judges. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sit there and let my client be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, when you're trying to take advantage of me, you're taking advantage of my client. And you can, you know, treat me however you want. I'm not really going to remember you at the end of the day. But Mm -hmm. you will not take advantage of my client because you perceive me as being young or you perceive me as being unqualified. I may be young, but I'm not unqualified. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I'm so excited for you. So I want to be respectful of our time. And I have just a couple of more fun questions. Um, sure. Well, I, I think they're fun. I hope they're fun. Um, if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would probably tell myself to stop stressing as much. I mean, there was times when I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning, think, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this correctly? And some of those problems were big, but sometimes they were very small issues that wouldn't even matter in like 48 hours, right? let alone 48 days. So if it's not going to matter in two days, then it probably doesn't need your full 100% stress overload. Um, and to just breathe and kind of move through things, but that things have a way of working out. Yes. So when you're not completely consumed with professional responsibilities, how do you enjoy spending any leisure time? Um, I love reading. I love finding new BYOBs in Philadelphia. And I am a reality TV junkie. (laughs) (laughs) What books are on your bedside? Uh, right now, I'm reading Michelle Obama's Becoming. I'm nearly finished with that. I love it. But I I've, I've, I love it so much that I've been reading it slowly instead of binging it. It's kind of like a, a nice glass of red wine. Yes. Like, just relax, read a couple pages, don't go too far, because then I'll finish it in two days and be sad. Um, but that is what's currently on my nightstand. I saw her when she came to Philadelphia in November. I could not see her. I did not get to go, and I was so sad. But I did see her at the Pennsylvania Women's Conference yes. the year before. Yes. I'm going to send you a couple of things that I hope, I think will be meaningful for you meaningful for oh, thank you in regard to that when we were there so the last um uh thank you so much for this time amber this has been so incredibly uplifting and, and illuminating um so i want to give our listeners a way to the best way to connect with you um any you know any any way that you would like to share to oh sure i love social media specifically twitter and my Twitter handle is at Amber M Racine. So M is in Mary and it's at Amber M Racine. I love Twitter. I think it gives me the best news and traffic before I even can get it from anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in our discussion and on the uh, secret sauce marketing tasting show, is there anything else that you would like to share with us or that you would like for us to know? I'd really just like you to thank you for having me and to encourage anyone listening to reach out um, if they have any questions, if they have any concerns, if they're interested in the law or if they, you know, want to pick my brain about anything. And other than that, I really just want to thank you for what you do and 
thank you for the help you've offered through the years, through the, a lot of the Philadelphia bar programs and other programs that you do. But I just want to encourage women who are listening to believe in yourself and invest in yourself and you'll be able to do anything. Right. Because like Michelle, we are all becoming. That is very true. And it's a continuous process. It is not a destination ever, but a journey. Correct. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings today with the awesome Amber Racine. Until next time, keep moving forward. Mm -hmm.